it's wonderful to speak with Chris Felgate, who's originally from Zimbabwe. He competed at the very highest level of the sport of triathlon, having competed at the Beijing Olympics in 2008, and again in 2012 at the London Olympics. Thanks, Chris, for taking the time to chat. No problem, Liz. It's awesome, awesome to be able to communicate like this from, yeah. uh, you know, across the globe. And, and you're in Perth at the moment, is that right? That's right, I'm Perth, Western Australia. Right. So I, I know originally you're from Zimbabwe. Maybe you can just talk a little bit about how you got into the sport of triathlon and, and um, when, when that happened. Sure. So it's originally from, you know, Harare, Zimbabwe, which is, you know, the southern part of Africa. It's not South Africa. It's the country above South Africa, which a lot of people, you know, get confused about. And, you know, I grew up there, spent, you know, 18, 18 years of my life there. And, and um, you know, I was very fortunate that the school, the secondary school I went to, um, you know, we sort of started triathlon as a school sport um, back then. So th this was, you know, um, sort of mid to late 1990s. And it was a school sport. So we had actually, you know, it's, you know, schools in, in South Afri Southern Africa that formalize um, school programs where you know you do academics for half the day and then and then they have two to three hours of formalized sport mm -hmm. um after that academics and one of those sports you get to choose sports throughout your you know depending where you are in, in the high school career yeah. and you know i, I chose i chose uh, triathlon i had always been a swimmer so i'd swum i think you know when i was a couple of years old my my mom just threw me in the deep end of the pool and, and said swim boy go <laughs> So was this, Chris, was this like um, a sports school almost? Because it sounds like... Not, not at all. Not no. at all. So the, the, the school system in Zimbabwe is phenomenal. Absolutely mm -hmm. exceptional. It is, it is really amazing. And I've been obviously to a lot of countries in the world now where my sport's taken me. And I, I, I'd really just... I'm so appreciative of the school schooling I had growing up because it's, it's, um, it's second to none, I think. Mm -hmm. It's actually not a sports school. It's, you know, we, we did um, Cambridge O-levels and A-levels um, from an academic perspective. And then, you know, we just, they took sport pretty seriously and believed that it was an uh, integral part of, of, you know, young person's life growing up, mm -hmm. a holistic point, part of their life. And um, I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. So, so had, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. So I was just saying like, so I did a lot of cross-country running. And, you know, junior school, I did swimming. Obviously, I did competitive swimming for a number of years. You know, this is talking like sort of, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old. You know, I was swimming, you know, three, four Ks a day and, and just proper swimming training. And then I did obviously cross-country running. And then, I, you know, when I had any extra time, I'd go with my buddies and we had mountain bike in um, some open, open fields around. So I always was cycling, but I no, no formal kind of cycling, but I was always swimming and, and running. And then it was like, you know, friends sort of said, oh, why don't you try this sport a go? This is, you know, like 1994. Why don't you give this sport a go called triathlon? And I'm like, well, I've never heard of it. And there was actually a formalized, you know, structure in Zimbabwe. So I said, you know, got my mountain bike and went along and, and you know, I think I got a, I came fourth or fifth in my first race and you know, I never looked back. So I did, I think, my first race in 1995. And, 
and it just went one one you know one thing after the next and just I got sucked in yeah. and then my life life be, became triathlon everything around it as um and, and so, so that culminated yeah so that culminated you know went you know my last year of um of school and sort of went to the junior world championships which were I guess my first taste of a massive big triathlon event so that was the year 2000 and that was in Perth Western Australia funny enough yeah. and and then I did um you know first school and then I took a like a gap year and I went to the west uh, eastern part of 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 Australia and and I was working as a border master but then also just doing some racing and training Travel and training, and then I went to the 2001 Junior World Championships, which were in Edmonton in Canada. Yeah. So I went all the way from the east coast of, of Australia to Edmonton, Canada. Then after that, went back to South Africa now. So at this point in time, my family had made a decision to leave Africa and come and live in, in Australia. So there was some, you know, it's a bit of unrest going on in, in Afri- Africa at that time. And, you know, I guess my, my parents were, were just, you know, n- nobody knows what the, you know, no one's got a crystal ball, right? So it's, um, they just want to make the decision for their family at the time. Sure. Um, our, us, you know, kids, we got two brothers as well. So, you know, I think it was, that was their foremost thought. So they made the decision, hard decision, because they're, they're you know, mid fifties and then leaving everything they knew and, decided to come in and live in Perth, Western Australia. Right. Why, why Perth? It just cause it's the closest, you know, a lot of, a lot of people were immigrating in that, at that time from, from Zimbabwe and South Africa. And I guess, you know, Australia's got a very similar culture, very similar climate to Africa. Yeah. You know, we're very outdoors people. We love the sun. Um, you know, we like getting out in the bush. We like getting on nature, you know, getting on water. Um, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of people went to United Kingdoms, so went to live in England. And my parents had a lot of, ex- you know, a lot of their extended family. Most of the extended family lives in in England, but they just thought that the climate was just going to cause more, um, you know, more negative, you know, problems for them. So they thought, right, you know, let's come to let's come to this place. Right. Plus, they had, I think, a couple of family friends that had moved moved to Perth um, in the years prior to that. Um, so yeah, so they came to Western Australia, and that was two thousand and three. And at that point, I would I um, went to university, and I went back to South Africa. <laughs> so I went back to South Africa and to study. Okay, so um, you did you come over with your family to Perth for some period, and then you went back? No, to- so they so they came over here, and I, I came literally for a matter of months. Yeah. And then I left because at that point in time, it was going to be too expensive to, um, to basically study in, in, um, Australia. Yeah. So we, so my, my, my dad, you know, and he was, you know, he, both my parents were used to be school teachers. So education's important part of their lives. And my dad believed that, you know, you do what he could do. And I'm grateful for that, um, in terms of education and, and he, you know, he said, all right, let's, you know, you need to go through university. And I went back to South Africa because that was the most affordable option at that point. Mm-hmm. So I went to an undergrad university and that was 2002, three and four. Yeah. And um, very, very good university, you know, a lot of heritage, but I guess it wasn't the most strongest university from a, an athletics or sport or triathlon. You know, if you're a rugby player or a hockey player, 
probably good university, but for a for an athlete, for a, <laughs> a triathlete, probably not the best sort of um, choice. But you know what? It I, I don't regret it. I had a, an awesome time there, made some you know lifelong friendships, and but it didn't mean I'd went away from the sport. You know, I, I kept trying to do what I could in terms of training and racing um, at this university. Yeah. Did whatever national or, or sort of local races I could do. Right. Um, and it was, it was so that was uh, it was, it was hard not to compete a, at like a high level while you were studying uh, there very hard because it was it was in a sort of a not the most easily accessible location in mm. i guess south africa i wasn't in a johannesburg or a cape town you know i was in the in the eastern cape um like i said exceptional very good university but just um you know probably not the best place if you've got any olympic um, aspirations at that point and look I'll be honest in 2002 to 2003 you know Olympics were the furthest thing on my mind um, obviously I followed the sports and I was really involved I had a, a, a good friend of mine um, who was also a fellow Zimbabwean triathlete he had actually won uh, the 2003 junior duathlon world championship so he was actually the he became the duathlon world champion um, he was very obviously a phenomenal uh, runner and cyclist and swimming let him down a bit, yeah. but he was, he was training, you know, full time in Boulder, Colorado. So I was keeping in touch with him while I was at this university in South Africa and he was going, you know, pro one forbidden word and giving it his best shot. And, and I was just like, this is awesome. This sounds phenomenal. This sounds a great life. Right. Um, you know, he, he was from Zimbabwe and he came back to, you know, you know when obviously the season finished and he came went back to Zimbabwe to see his family and that and he loved the bush um and he had a had a pretty bad accident um he actually got uh charged by a, a bull elephant and um while he's walking in in the bush and um you know when one tusk went through his uh, clavicle one one just sort of missed his spine by about um 10 centimeters oh so it that sort of like crushed his swimming swimming part of his triathlon at that point and i know he, he tried to come back after that and, and it was just it was going to be too hard um yeah. to make yeah. it at a, at a top level you know i had a taste of what it, what it was like going to this you know full full speed triathlon world so yeah. towards the end of my undergrad so this is 2004 i had made the plan to come to western australia and do postgrad um 2005 and so I was at University of Western Australia and doing a postgrad in exercise rehabilitation science. And at that point, I got sucked into the university triathlon squad, which is an exceptional squad. You know, some great guys, good athletes. And we, 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 we trained and worked really hard. It was, yeah. it was a phenomenal, phenomenal period of time, actually. Where, and those friends I made at that point in time, you know, that's some of my best mates now. You know. mm -hmm. so, so when you went, when you went over, Chris, to <clears throat> do yep. your postgraduate studies in exercise and rehabilitation, what, what was part of your motivation to do triathlon and train for it, or was it more just you wanted to pursue your studies, and then when you got yeah. there, you realized there was the opportunity to train with this this group? Yeah, I think I, I was keeping my options open actually in terms of what what my career path where I was going. I think I had some sort of, um, you know, there was some sort of a burning ember within me that was thinking, you know, where could I go with this, with this triathlon sport? 
you know, I, I'm not, I'm not done with it yet, but, but a study, I think, you know, like I've mentioned earlier with my parents, um, pretty, uh, you know, education was front and foremost. So I think, you know, that was ingrained in me. I wanted to get that tucked away. Um, and I think it was in the first, you know, literally matter of weeks where I heard about this, the university triathlon squad and, you know, I pitched up to a training session one day and, and I never looked back. So, and then once I got involved with that, you know, this camaraderie and this, and, you know, we, we did a lot of, a lot of miles together um, and I could study at the same time and I could do this, do this um, training at the same time. Right. I think at this point for me, I think training was more important than racing because I needed to get, because I guess in my undergrad university, I missed a couple, you know, I maybe missed 18 months of critical fine tuning training, mm-hmm. which I think is, is quite important. It was important at that time um, because, you, you know, as you can see from stats and race races, you know, the athletes are, are getting much faster, much younger, <laughs> Right. you know, right. especially in the Olympic distance, you know, you, you, you early 20 year olds and like late teens are, are the ones that are, are doing really well. Um, so it's just testament to how coaching and, and this complete package of, of training and athlete right. has you know, become, you know, get sucked into these national development right. talent so programs. And how old were you, Chris, at that point? I think you said this was in 2005 or 2005. So this is 2005. So I, um, I was 22, 23. So mm-hmm. I was old. I was old, right? I realized, I knew that I, I was getting old <laughs> from a triathlon sense. In terms yeah. of when I say getting old, you know, your physiology and your you know, I call you know your your type two uh, muscle fibers. If you haven't developed those you know, while you're a teenager, it's going to be very hard to draw on them. You know, when you're early twenty year old. Right. Right. So I knew that. Obviously, I had a strong engine. I'd done a lot of VO two max tests, and I knew you know my VO two max. I remember it to this day. I did one in two thousand and in two thousand one in on the east coast of Australia. I did a VO two max test on the bike. Um, and that was sitting at 85 yeah. millimoles. So I was told then I had a strong engine, yeah. but I guess I didn't have a fast engine. <laughs> right. Okay. So I knew I had a good diesel strong engine, but my, mm-hmm. the, the speed, I guess, wasn't there. But how, do, how was it going to get to the speed you know, without causing injury and causing damage to my body? Because you mm-hmm. can't just go out there and three weeks later, you're going to get quicker. It just right. doesn't work that way. Sure. So all these things were in my mind working out how am I, how am I going to do this? So coming back into that university, Western Australia, triathlon squad. So that was 2000, 2005. And then 2006, you know, I'd, I'd graduated um, from, I'd got my postgrad studies and that was it for studies. And then I was starting to think, all right, I needed to work. So I obviously needed to earn a living. So I was, I was working a couple of odd jobs at the time. Um, I wasn't, it wasn't a career path decision kind of work at that point because I was still was tinkering with triathlon, right? Yeah. So I wasn't getting sucked into a career yet because I knew triathlon was still there. Right. So it was sort of like in these 2006 years where I started to work out, all right, you know, maybe the Olympics are an option. All right. So I started to research, you know, I was part of Zimbabwe. So Olympics were an option not necessarily for Australia because I could, I think sort of mentioned earlier, you know, country is, you know, country that you get sort of adopted into, it's not necessarily going to take you on when they've got 
you know, 10,000 of their own athletes to, to choose from, right? Right, right. So I thought my, my best chance is going to do that was to somehow go for my home country, Zimbabwe. Right. Because we at that point, we had some, we had some, you know, good swimmer. We had um, Kirsty Coventry, who's the, obviously, you know, the Minister of Sport there at the moment. But Kirsty Coventry was a phenomenal swimmer. And I knew that, you know, she, she put Zimbabwe in the, on the, um, on the um, Olympic map. You know, she won a number of medals um, at three Olympic Games. Right. So I knew you could get there as a Zimbabwean, right? I just didn't yeah. know how. <laughs> well, so, and I'm so, curious, Chris, like what kind of planted the seed of the Olympics? Because, you know, it's one thing to kind of go from, you said, you have this ember or this spark that says, oh, I still want to pursue it. It's another thing to, yeah. you know, a few years later, be yeah. able to compete in the yeah. Olympic Games. I think it was... I don't know if there was one defining moment that I said, right, this is what I'm going to go for. Mm-hmm. I think it was, I want to give this sport the best hot go I can do. And I want to try and, you know, tap into all the potential I can muster out of my body. Yeah. And if that means getting to the Olympics, obviously the Olympics were a goal, but if I couldn't get there, I, I guess at that point it wasn't going to crush me. Yeah. Um, it was, but in order to even give that, like I said, I can't, you know, the, I don't think it was one defining moment to say, right, this is what I'm going to go for. Right. It wasn't like mean, a lifelong I, dream where you always said, oh, no, not really. No, no, I don't think so. I was, I wanted to, you know, I guess, um, you know, uh, not to sound inflated, but I, I guess I'm, you know, always chasing that dream. I'm always chasing you know, that, that, um, that top mark and I'm very competitive within myself. Right. Right. So I thought, right, this is the pinnacle of the sport and all right, what's the pinnacle? Let's do it. Let's try and get there. No matter how big that might've seen. Right. (laughs) I don't know. Zimbabwe. (laughs) So did you have sort of indications though, that that was feasible or realistic because you know you said you started training a lot with the yep. triathlon group at, at yeah. University you know Australia. yeah so at that point no I guess no I, I knew I could so from my swimming times and that I knew at that point you know they, they often send an Olympic distance triathlon because it's a draft legal cycle leg you can win you can lose the the um you, you know you lose the you lose the race in the swim and you can win it in the run meaning that you have to swim quick enough to get into that front pack in the cycle yeah. and in order to get off on the run. But you needed to finish quick enough in the run to finish within a world ranking points criteria mm-hmm. because they, they stopped after a certain time. There's also position and then a percentage of time after the, after the win across the line. Okay. Um, I think in my body, I, I knew that I was never going to like win an IT, win these top level races. Um, you know, I guess my goal wasn't ever, this is how I'm going to earn a living, right? That was never my intention. <laughs> um, my intention was to see what I could do um, with the means I had at the time. Right. So in order to, to actually tap into that, so to your, to your point where, well, how, what gave me this inkling? I knew I could swim. Like my times and my swimming were, were enough to get me in those front packs and those top rates. So all the stats that I was reading, all the results that I was reading at that point in time, in 2005 and six, I was swimming quick enough to swim with the best in the world in a triathlon event. Yeah. Okay. So I thought, all right, if, and I was with, with cycling, you needed to 
cycle further and faster and smarter and you're getting it stronger. And then the run, right. There was, it was, I knew I was never running was, I guess, overall the weakness because I think like I'd I'd missed um, some formative speed years in my growing up. Um, so I knew I could get my body to a certain running speed, but I was never going to get to a 30 minute 10 K run. So that meant I was never going to win the race, but could I do enough to finish in the twenties to get enough world ranking points to qualify for the Olympics right. in so, that African spot? Right. And maybe you can explain that. So to qualify for, for the Olympics, sure. what is it that you had to do sure. in order to qualify sure. for Zimbabwe? So, so at that point in time, so the Beijing and London Olympic uh, criteria, so you only had 55, 55 spots um, in the Olympics. And the way that they did it, the Olympic body um, separated up to, basically they worked out how many athletes in your nation or region did triathlon. So let's take Canada, USA, Australia, New Zealand. So those top countries where they've got tens of thousands of triathletes, the best athletes that are right, those countries would have two to three positions out of those 55. Okay. And then it was up to each national federation. Let's say, let's take Australia or, or USA. They would have certain qualifying races where right, that national championships, if you finished across the line first, you got that slot right. for your country. Yeah. Take Africa as an example. You might have had 10,000 athletes in the whole continent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Different to like these, these other countries. Sure. So Not what they did, South Africa, South, that's right. So South Africa had the highest percentage of those, those athletes and they were awarded two of those slots, two mm-hmm. positions. Then the international triathlon union went about, you know, the, the main continents in the world where the sport was, was done. And they, they awarded the rest of the continent one position. So Africa got another position, but you couldn't, and that had to exclude the South African position. So that extra African position was that position that I went for. So every single other country in Africa went for that position. If you're an athlete, but you had to meet the minimum criteria set out by the um, International Triathlon Union and the IOC. So you had to get a world ranking at a certain ranking in order to qualify for that spot and be obviously the top ranked African athlete in the, you know, to, to get that spot. Cause there was only one. Yeah. So that was, that was what I went for. Right. So in order, so I worked out strategically in order to do that, I had to race in a number of, qualifying races where it gave me the best chance of earning those world ranking points so that my world rank would be at a certain level that one, it would be the highest in Africa, excluding South Africa and two, it met the minimum criteria of the IOC and the ITU. All right. So so that was basically the position I went to, went for. And so before we were chatting, uh, you mentioned that when, um, you know, and I think in 2007, you decided to just basically sell whatever belongings you had. Yeah. And, and, you know, and you would go to these specific events in order to get that yeah. world ranking. Yeah. So at that point, early, you know, 2006, I'd started trying to work out a plan. How am I going to get these world ranking points? 
where am, where am I going to be based? So, and I worked out that in order to do that, I had to be based basically in the center of the globe, basically as an African athlete. So that means racing in Africa and then racing in Europe. One, it was going to be kinder on, on the body from a travel perspective and it was going to be cheaper because I was funding everything myself at this point in time. Right. Um, if I was going to be based in Australia, I had to continue cross the Indian Ocean to get to any races. It was just going to be feasible, you know, one with a six hour time difference and two financially impossible. Yeah. No. So I, I was working out how am I going to do this? So at that point in time, the, sorry, okay. <laughs> the, um, French, there was, um, you know, there's a, and there still is a strong French, uh, triathlon league, um, in France where, you know, there's, it's, it's heavily um, publicized. There's a lot of sponsors, a lot of, a lot of, um, media and, and I guess money involved, um, in these French leagues within, um, within France. So I thought, right, how could I tap into that? So I could base myself in Europe with covering off some expenses yeah and and um and growing myself as an athlete right so that was what the goal was the goal at this point in time in early 2007 was because obviously it was not a lot of time before the june 30th cutoff in 2008 for the olympics so mm -hmm. we had to get these i will rank by the 30th of june of the olympic year so that was 2008. So I didn't have a lot of time, right? <laughs> how so many events? I'd, how many events did you have scheduled to compete in? Yeah, it was. It was, it was more. A lot. I, I. It was. It was working out financially what I had. Bottom line, though, in 2000, early 2007, I had to get my body faster, more on the run than anything, right? Yeah. So, it was. Um, the swim I knew was there. I just had to maintain it. I had to tweak some things and, and big pack swimming, cycling as well. You know, you had to cycle, had to cycle stronger and smarter and quicker, but running was the thing that ultimately I need to improve on quicker. But obviously as most athletes know, as soon as you start trying to do sprint training and, and speed and running, that's when your body can give out. Yeah. Well, earlier you said that that was kind of a difficult, thing right given that you you know sort of came back to the sport you know it sounds like you were competing went to the junior world championship so you were having yep. a lot of success early on but then given your i don't know if we'd call it a hiatus or when you were at university and yep. not quite as involved you know you said coming back you it's when you're in your 20s there's only so much you can do to kind of make up that's for right that lost time right that's right so, did you experience some kind of injury at that point when you were? Yeah. So I've, I've spoke about that French league. So what I did right. when I, I left Perth in about March or February, 2007, and I sold everything. So I had no asset to my name other than a bicycle and a, a suitcase and a round the world plane ticket. And I thought, right, I'm going to go and make it. <laughs> at the dream, right? At the dream. Yeah. yeah. So, Sold everything, left, said, said um, cheers to my parents and my family. And I said, I'm not sure when I'm going to be back, but this is what I'm going to go do. Right. So I had a few, so I had this contract lined up with this French team 
Um, but that only started in, in about April, May. So I went back to South Africa first for uh, February, March of 2007. And I raced in the African Championships then. And I earned these world ranking points in, in these African Championships in 2007. So I thought, right, you know, I was, I was now, I met some of the South African uh, top triathletes at the time and, and you know, spoke to them on how, the, how, the, how were they doing things. Um, anyway, so I'd all, already set my path that I was going on to France after this South, Afri South African bit. So the dream in France is, right, I was going to spend six months in France. I was going to get my body strong. I was going to get my body fast. And I was going to get experience in racing in a lot of races. Okay. So that was the goal for that period of time. And then by the end of 2007, I would come back and use what I'd gained over the year and hopefully earn more world ranking points. Right. Okay. So that six months in France was, I guess, a pivotal period in my career. So anyway, the dream was you, go, you, you arrive at this French town and you go and race with the other international athletes and, you know, it's all set up and you, there's a physio and then you, there's this training, set training squad times. And anybody who's ever raced and trained or ever trained in France will know what I'm going to about to say next. And I arrived and it was just, you know, the, the president and um, his assistant of the secretary of the club met me at the airport. Um, the secretary could speak a little bit of English. The president could speak yeah. no English. Yeah. Um, and I said, cool. And then I said, oh, are we, are, the, are we going to wait for the other international athletes? Said, no, you're the only one. <laughs> 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 so I was like, this is day one, right? And I was like, it was, I was, man, it was pouring with rain. It was just the worst weather ever. And I was just in this town in, on the West coast of France in Lorient. And, um, you know, it was just, I was miles away from anything I knew. Right. Yeah. So, and I was just like, this is just, and, and remember, I'd sold everything. So I had very little money. I'd bought this round the world ticket. So in order to change any of these airfares at the time was going to cost a lot of money. Yeah. So I thought, jeepers, I've got okay. to stick this out. So it was so. just like a case of false advertising or, you know, what <sighs> kind of gave you the impression that you were going to be yeah. at the center of a whole team environment? Yeah. yeah I think speaking with other, other, tri other Australian triathletes who had done the similar things in the years gone by, um, it certainly was a bit of, um, yeah, there, there's some severe misconceptions about, yeah, you know, what, what, I, what I arrived at and what yeah. I thought I was going to. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, look, it's, you know, fast forward all this time and, you know, I still communicate with, the, with that president of the club and the secretary and, you know, we become, you know, sort of like mates and acquaintances. And, and, but it was, it was very hard for like somebody had given up everything, right? or no money, nothing, and just like, this is what I'm going to do, because I'm going to make it, and you arrive and yeah. realize, you are it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So look, I look, that's right. So anyway, so then, then he, he'd take me back from the airport, and then we go back, and, and he says, he takes me, so right, we're just going to go to my house, this is the president. So we go in, the, you know, that, this you know, rural French town, and you know, top top story of, uh, of an apartment block, and, um, and I thought we were just staying there, right? And then he's going to take me to where to my flat, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, this is no, no, you know, he had partitioned off his lounge, his um, <laughs> living room, <laughs> and he, there was a bed in the corner, and that was my bed. 
yeah. that was that was where I was staying for the next six right. months, and I was just like, "Oh my goodness, this is just getting better." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you ple- pleasantly surprised to find out that your accommodations again are not quite what you anticipated. Well, I just yeah, maybe I just had overinflated, you know, perceptions of of what it, what it was what I was doing. But anyway, it was it was very interesting, and and Greg. And the president and myself, we spoke, you know, we communicated for the first couple of weeks through a French English dictionary across the table. And, um, and he was, he was really good though. Like he, he realized, I guess the miscon, you know, the misconceptions I was having and, and realized yeah. r- quickly that I, what I was, had arrived to was certainly not what I thought I was arriving to. And, and he, I think he did feel, feel a bit bad. And, and I don't think it was, I think there was nothing, there was no malintent, there was no malicious, there was, it was, it was just a case of mistaken, <laughs> whatever, you know, it was just, yeah. just how it happened. Right. Just but anyway, this is, the, that's right. This is, anyway, so he, he was the, like the lifeguard at the local swimming, swimming center. And, and, you know, he managed to get me into, you know, times it was, um, you know, after eight o'clock at night where I could actually swim on my own because the pool like a lot of french pools you know there's just mass just swimming all over the place and and um so you can't really actually swim properly mm-hmm. so he got me in a, you know a smaller you know able to give me a time slot where i could actually just train on my own but then that was a that was a thing right i was on my own now i had this awesome experience in western australia with all these great athletes and great mates and arrived at this where now i was like swimming on my own Right, <laughs> and um, so then, the, then um, you know, obviously, I have to get just stuck into it because the longer you stay idle, after you know, you've got to keep training, you've got to keep moving. To um, so with the, with cycling, um, I um, quickly learned. Obviously, you know, I was I'd always cycled on the left side of the road here and growing up, and I was now I was on the right side of the road. Right, and. Um, did, did you have anyone kind of guiding your training at this point or, or essentially you show up to France under the misconception that you're going to be part of a group or team and, yep. and then essentially for the next six months, are you left to your own devices or kind of what happened? Pretty much, pretty much. So I, I, I was left to my own devices and um, they um, sort of looked at me as the expert, I guess, yeah. thinking, right, well, you know, like show us how to train so okay well i drew on you know the 15 odd years that i had prior to that in terms of of training and that um so anyway i brought i just broke it down right i just broke it down and swimming i needed to swim properly in a, in a swimming pool with a lane i need to cycle you can't you're not necessarily going to get better cycling on your own and there were no sort of like power meters and all that sort of stuff at that point in time or easily accessible at least so obviously the one thing France is really good at is cycling. Right. Yeah. And there are a lot of cyclists in France. Sure. So I, I um, got in touch with the, the local cycling groups and sort of cycled a few local top cycling groups two or three times a week. And then obviously you got to ride on your own as well, but they were fast and they were good. Yeah. So that was, that was great. I mean, nobody spoke, spoke English, but that was okay. I mean, that was, that's what, you know, yeah. That's Tour de France riders do all the time, right? They just yeah. go and you pitch up in a in a club and you just go with it. Yeah. So local culture. That's it, exactly. So it was that was not really an issue. Um I guess one thing I should say at this point, so 
when I was doing my education in Zimbabwe, I was, it was O-levels and it was, um, you know, French was one of my subjects. <laughs> so I actually studied it for a couple of years. That was convenient. Yeah. So it was, you, um, were you able to use any of it or was it? Yeah, no, definitely. Oh, hundred, definitely. Definitely. I think claim to fame was this by the end of that period in France, I was able to give a 45 minute interview to a local newspaper oh. all in French. Well done. Yeah. Well done. So it was, so it was pretty good. So yeah. it was a good, good. It was a good foundation I had. Yeah. That's um, real but anyway, so going, going back to the early periods of arriving this town, you know, was running was going to be a problem because I quickly learned that I was the quickest runner and I knew I wasn't a quick runner at that time, really, yeah. you know, in terms of where I needed to be. So that was a problem. You need to run with people that are trying with people that are quicker in order to actually get quicker. Yeah. yeah. So that was going to be a challenge. I thought racing would help you take care of that. Anyway, about a month after I'd first got there, they took me off to the first league race of league race where I went and actually I, I think I got third and I think I earned about 300 euro. Now I remember I'd left with no money from and arrived at this place and suddenly in this other town, you know, two hours away from where I was, I came third and I got 300 euro. I just, this like, I was like, hell, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I was like doing the math and I heard, right, if I can keep doing this and these little races and, you know, um, you know, the goal was never, like I said, the goal was never to, I'm never going to make a living as a to experience right. and then try and try and get my body quicker. Yeah. It was a, but a I means think some, to an end. That's right. But I think soon after that race, I was doing, um, you know, some, again, I was on my own. And I think it was the weather got really bad at the West, West part of France. And I picked up a pretty bad injury. Mm-hmm. So my um hamstring doctor hamstring was just it yeah literally i could not move could not walk more than sort of like three or four meters mm-hmm. couldn't cycle swimming was a problem if i tumble turned and this was absolutely debilitating so mm-hmm. i'd arrived and i was in this foreign town and um literally had no you know there was no how was it going to get to physio how yeah. was i how was I going to um, rehabilitate this thing? How was I, I was going to survive. You know, I wasn't going to be able to, you know, race now. Yeah. It was. What, what happened to the, your it was just, it was, it was, it was more a chronic, it was more a chronic rather than acute sort of onset. Mm-hmm. And I think what over, you know, subsequent to that, I've worked out that I had severe hip flexor extensor muscle imbalances and, you know, my right side, right hip flexors were working a lot harder than the left. And then over time, it was just everything was my um, sacroiliac joint, where obviously the nerve, everything innovates to your hamstring, just got, um, you know, just that whole muscle imbalance. And it just suddenly, I think I was doing one acute exercise. It wasn't an acute sort of like hamstring rupture or tear. It was just yeah. more a, yeah, it was just chronic, but it was just became one day I woke up and it was just, this is just, killing me <laughs> and i just knew i had to rest right well I, there was no ways i could just do anything um so it was a very you know dark period of time 
right. for me so mentally and psychologically. How, how long was that? You you got this hamstring injury after several months in France, or not? Even, no, no, no. So I was all up in France. I was only there for six months. I was probably yeah. in France for about five or six weeks. So I'd done my first race. Had this first taste of winning some Euro. Yeah. And then it was not long after that, I got this, this, um, this injury. Right. Right. And, and it was, it was just, it was um, terrible because I just, I'd come to this place and I, I was going to get stronger. I was going to get quicker. And the Olympics were obviously front and foremost at this point in time, because I'd gone done what got my first sort of world ranking points prior to, to just coming to France and in Africa. Yeah. at the African championship. So it's a very dark period of time. And I was, I was, um, absolutely, uh, yeah, <laughs> debilitating. So like the friend, the, the president of the club, he was trying to understand what I was going through. He, um, took me to a friend who was a sort of exercise therapist of sorts. Um, it was quite hard to understand who was a physio and, and, um, you know, we weren't, it wasn't like in Paris. It was in, in obviously you know smaller town so it wasn't obviously you didn't have these massive sports institute centers floating yeah. about with these you know yeah. top facilities or anything yeah so yeah. anyway this this he sort of treated it on the initial sort of um tenderness in the in the hamstring area and, and um you know obviously rested it for one or two weeks and then i thought right, go for a trot and sure enough it was just it was terrible mm. so um, I remember phoning, I had family in England, like I said earlier, and I saw so phone them and they said, oh, why don't you come across here? And then I investigated that and it was going to cost me, I think, another um, I don't know, $200 to try and change my ticket, which I just didn't have. And I said, well, I can't do that because just I don't have the money to come across there. Yeah. So it was, um, and then, you know, I kept going to try and see whatever um, centers are, you know, went to a few physios and then but then you know they were 50 euro they were very expensive because obviously i had no medical insurance or anything so they're about 50 euro every session and it wasn't really helping that much i mean there was a bit of acupuncture and um you know it wasn't that effective yeah it wasn't and really addressing I, 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 the underlying issue no and because obviously i only worked out the underlying issue myself you know a while later <laughs> and um and so it was, I think all up, I must, it may, might've been about two months where I was totally unsure of what I was going to do with myself. You know, I had, I had, at that point I had entered my next ITU international triathlon in a race. There was one in, in Netherlands. So I worked out, I was going to catch those so this is to get these world ranking points. Right. So I was going to catch the, um, a train all the way up there and go to, just the Amsterdam and then someone's going to collect me and I was going to go and do this race. But this was sort of like, um, I'd planned this obviously before I got injured, but I'd, I'd planned this all obviously on um, non-refundable stuff, which I think a lot of athletes can, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, understand and yeah. you know, the cheapest option. So I just, I made the, that's right. I made the decision, you know, four weeks and I was just gonna, uh, I couldn't, I, I was not going to be able to race. So I had to can't pull out of this, pull out of this race. But then I had this ticket. Um, you know, there was, like I said, I, I was at this point, I was reaching out to some, you know, family and the people were kind of obviously 
try and give me some virtual support um, just to try and, uh, <laughs> you know, one for a better word, just try and, you know, just put my mind at ease. You know, I was still swimming. I was trying to do what I could do. And, and I think, you know, one of the fundamental, thing, fundamental things of, of anyone who gets injured is that they quickly work out, um, you know, they've got a lot more time on their hands. And that time can either be used to dwell on darkness or can be used to dwell on what can you do to fix maybe other areas of your body that were weaker before. Right. Yeah. So it didn't look, that wasn't an immediate light bulb moment because I was, like I said, I was, I was this terrible time of, of my career. You know, I'd given up everything, sold everything, got to place, done okay in races and then got injured. Right. And how so I was going to fix this. What, what were some of the thoughts or emotions, you know, when you first started experiencing the pain in your hamstring and then you yeah. tried to, to come back and it just wasn't happening. And yeah. And so obviously I knew from, you know, what you study, you've got to, your body, if, if there's pain, you've got to rest it. Well, you've got to understand why there's pain. So I rested it. I tried to do basic stretches and mobility exercises of what I thought was the important thing to do. Yeah. And then I thought after two weeks, that's a good amount of time to rest. Let's try and run again. And, um, and no, <laughs> my body said no. <laughs> so it was, it was that, at that point I, th- I realized that this is obviously a lot more serious than I think it is. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it was literally, it was a good few days of, of, mm-hmm. um, uh, of depression, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. In a, in a sense. Would you, know. would you say the circumstance, Chris, was compounded by the fact that it sounds like it was challenging to really get expert advice or, you know. Well, like that's to, it. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Because, you know, I couldn't get anybody mm-hmm. to help me along the journey in terms of expert advice. You know, it was, mm-hmm. you couldn't go down and just talk to somebody in English, right? And say, right, this is the problem. You're trying to communicate and point and look at um, um, anatomy charts in this wall and say, this is where I'm feeling. This is what I think. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, still pigeon, you know, pigeon English, French communication uh, with everyone around me. And it was, you know, there were no, you had no friends, you had no fellow athletes around you to, to help you through it. Yeah. You know, obviously the way social media is now, it was certainly not what it was like then. Right. You know, the, um, you know, we see obviously Skype was a big thing at that point in time. So, you know, Skype a fair bit, but it's definitely compounded. So my, my mind was in a, in a very um, dark place. Yeah. So I think one of the, I'm trying to sort of track back and work out how I got myself out of it. I think I kept moving. Like I kept swimming. I realized I couldn't tumble turn in the pool because just that sort of basically that hip flexion was causing a bit of extra stress. So I just put a, a band on my ankles and I put a pull boy in and I just put paddles on and I just swam up and down the lengths. Um, and that's how I did just, I'd swim every day. So I kept, kept sort of basically the cardiovascular fitness going. Yeah. I got back on the bike sooner than could run, but I sort of, in order to try and take the stress off the hamstring area, I just dropped my seat post a little bit and obviously that can put more influence on um, your near uh, extensive mechanism. So it was, 
you know, I got back cycling. It was nowhere near fast, but it was just getting me out and, and doing something that I was familiar with. Yeah. And um, anyway, so that going back to that Amsterdam race, I, I was like, I cancelled it. So I thought, well, I got on the train and I went there anyway without a bike. And I thought, right, I've never been to Amsterdam. Let's go and check it out. So it was like, I think three or four days. And I thought, right, let's just go and experience this place. And I stopped off in Paris and, and um, no, no, took no swimming stuff, no running stuff, no, nothing. It was just a four day hiatus, I guess, from, from what I had gone to and just go and be a tourist. And I came back from that a lot more uh, refreshed mentally. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was certainly a, a good lesson in that, you know, once you, you sort of get fixated on an issue that you've got and you think that there's no way out of it, it's taking your, removing yourself from that situation to totally foreign situation yeah. can sometimes be a trigger to, to um, help you get back. Look, four days was never going to help me get my hamstring and get my sacroiliac joint, you know, back to where it needed to be. Right. But what it did, it refreshed the mind. Yeah. You know, your mind your mind is incredibly powerful in this time because my mind was drawing me down, right? I had all these mental negative thoughts. I had all these negative emotions. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to get faster. How am I going to qualify for the Olympics at this point? It just was, you know, your mind was just totally, every day you'd wake up and there would be another negative thought. Yeah. But removing yourself from that situation. Right. Um, and and Amsterdam, of course, is is a interesting, lively it was very exactly you know i went on walking tours and stuff and it was it was very different very different to anything that you know i'd grown up in africa where you've got all these open spaces and bush and stuff and you know this is very closed and canals and just lots of people on top of each other and stuff going on in a night that i'd never been heard of in my life really yeah yeah. (laughs) it was uh it was quite an interesting interesting time so did that kind of take your mind just to or absorb your mind and in, in sort of just observing what was around you and your new surroundings or were, were you still kind of fixated uh, to the same extent on the injury and, and yeah, yeah it, it certainly stuff? it took my mind away because obviously I was in this period of time remember I, I'd given up like going chasing a career path I'd given up all that part of my life to try and pursue the Olympic goal at this point Mm-hmm. So that was always there at the back of my mind, but it took my mind away from the immediate fixation on my injury and I guess the situation I was in in France. Yeah, it was a mental holiday basically. You know, yeah, it was four days, say, but it was. Would you say it sort of also kind of reduced the intensity of those negative thoughts and emotions? Yeah, definitely. I think it, it made me realize that you know it's that bad and it's not all doom and gloom and. And um, and uh, I guess it, it sort of reignited some sort of like, uh, right? Let's 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 see what we can do with the time we've got, and let's um, let's do it. So I think I actually came back from that, and I took another week or so off, and I sort of like I was a bit of a tourist in the in the town I was in, and sort of you know experienced the countryside. Yeah. And um, at this point in time, I met another group of Australian triathletes who are racing in a, in a, in the air French club. I think it was about a three or four hour train trip away from where I was at. And I met them at another race, but we had stayed communicating 
And they said, look, we, we're, we're going to, we, we're hiring a, a van and we're going to drive to Alpe d'Huez and we're going to go and do the Alpe d'Huez triathlon. So now anyone who does cycling or I don't know if you've heard of Alpe d'Huez, but yeah, it's one of sure, the, sure. All right. So yeah. anyone who's got an inkling of sport or watched Tour de France knows what Alpe d'Huez is. Yeah. And these guys emailed me or contacted me the one day and said, we're going to go and do the Alpe d'Huez triathlon. It was only about six weeks away at that point. So they said, do you want to come? You just got to get to our town. I said, no problem. I'm there, you know? So I wasn't running really that well. You know, I was just, it was, um, you know, I was swimming. I was back to swimming. Okay. I was tumble turning. I think cycling at that point was okay, but certainly wasn't running more than maybe, you know, maybe walk jogging at that point in time. Um, so I got on a train, got my bike and I went to this town, met up with them. And um, we all went on a road trip down. So we are obviously now in sort of west, north, northwest of France. And now obviously we're, we're up to Ez is sort of like your south eastern part of, of France. So we got in, a, got in a van and and I think there were four of us actually. And we went down and and went down to that part of France. And yeah. that was, I think I was away for about two weeks at that point in time. And we did, I did the Alpe d'Huez triathlon. I did, and then we stayed on top. We actually stayed on top of Alpe d'Huez for four nights. I think Dad rented like a two-bedroom apartment for about ten athletes. So yeah. I remember my bedroom was underneath the dining room table, on a few cushions as my mattress. You know, I was like, I'm, I'm on, I'm on top of Alpe d'Huez. I don't care. <laughs> you so, know. So you you did the triathlon. I did the triathlon. I limped through the run. I did the, the swim and the cycle, and and went all the way up Alpe d'Huez with with no problems from a cycling perspective. And I think uh, I, I shuffled through the run. It was, a, it, was a, it was a funny distance. It was like a three quarter distance. It was, it was like a one and a half K swim. It was like the 30 K bike with 20 K or, you know, so um, 12, 12 Ks up Alpe d'Huez and then uh, a seven K run on the top of Alpe d'Huez. Yeah. So I did that and my body pulled up okay, actually after, after that. And I thought, oh, well, maybe this is the start of the rebuild. And, and I was, that was more of like a, a cycling sort of trip more than anything, because obviously where we were. So I remember the next day we said, all right, we're going to got on, um, got on the bikes, the group of us, I think five or six of us. And, and we cycled down after his, and then we went cycled and we went to set out to find cold Galibier. <laughs> so you went we, to we set out to find, what was that? Cold beer? Called called the Galibier, Galibier. Oh. So it's one of the um another top mountain stage in in the Tour. Oh, okay. Got that um. So it's two and a half or two thousand six hundred or two thousand seven hundred meters high. It's it's one of the highest peaks, but you know it was about a four or five hour round, round trip, and we you know cycled up one another called called the Lauterat, and then went up to called the Galibier, and um. And, and then I think we did, I think it went up and down, up to his maybe four times while I was, while I was staying there. Yeah. So it was, it was ex- exceptional experience. And I think, um, you know, we eventually got all the way back to where we were um, in the West Coast of France after that couple of weeks away. Mm-hmm. And geez, I was, I was strong. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'd I think I'd podiumed in about the next six or seven consecutive races, um, and now like we're getting on towards the end of my sort of stint in France, right? 
So at this point, I'd scrapped. So while I was, I'd originally thought while I was in France, I was going to go and race in these world ranking points races to try and get points for my Olympic dream, right? Yeah. But I'd realized that I was not going to be fast enough to do that. And it was just going to drain all my, any financial resources I had to do that. It wasn't going to be a wise decision to just go and pitch up and race and finish, you know, 50th. Yeah. every race you're going to get no points and i was just going to deplete all my finances so i'd made the decision early on that i was going to scrap that idea and just focus on training and racing in in france which are um and earning a bit of euro along the way so that's what i did you know by the end of that six months i'd done that alps trip i'd met some obviously made more contacts i now got in really well with with the local uh french club i was with you know, the, the dark period of six, seven, eight weeks that I went through was, you know, was, was well and truly history. It was part of my history, but I think I learned from it in that, uh, you know, taking your, your mind away um, from that period of time. Yeah, it was helpful. It also Very sounds helpful. like the fact that you were kind of willing to adapt your plans well, I think, and that's the thing, right? It was flexible. I had to, you had to learn how to be flexible. Um, I think the other good thing at that point in time, I was talking to the ITU, so the International Triathlon Development Body, and a lady by the name of Libby Burrell, who um, she was, you know, instrumental in trying to develop the sport of triathlon. And obviously, me coming from Zimbabwe, I was on the map to an extent I was trying to gear myself for a scholarship from the international triathlon union to help me towards these races. Cause you got to imagine, right. You go to any international race, your airfare alone is $2,000 really. You yeah. Know? It's, wow. it's a lot of money. So, um, anyway, I applied for the scholarship, but I had to get a certain, uh, a couple more results under my name at that point. So the end of 2007 towards the end, I, would finished my time in France and then I went back to Africa and, and I, I raced a couple of um, local African um, third or fourth tier races where there were a few points up for grabs and I, I got the points. So I could go to um, seconds and thirds in those races. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I came back so much stronger mentally in my, in my, the belief in my, in my body, I guess. You know, I think that was the key thing. I came back from that French six month French experience six months, far stronger mentally and believing in what I was setting out to do. And I was just a case of how I was going to do it. I think it was just the challenge. The challenges, the challenges I went through in that period of time were were like um, initiation. (laughs) Yeah initiation into this into this process you can't just wake up one day and say right you're going to go and qualify for the olympics it doesn't work that way mm-hmm. um and i think it was my initiation into that process was like yeah. you've got to you've got to live breathe eat drink the sport 24 7 365 to want to do it and want to be there yeah. and that's what made me that's what made me realize that, right? I, I obviously, you know, I'd, I'd like I said, I'd start this board in 1995, but it was just, I was 100% committed, 130% committed into this and, and how to do it. And I, you know, I had no, there was, there was no other career at this point. This is what I was going to do. Right. 
Um, I met the top South African triathlete at the time, um, Hendrik de Villiers, and he said, oh, he's going to go and race in Israel. Uh, in, it was the last sort of race, points race of 2007. So I said, great. So I said, can I come with you? <laughs> so I said, yeah, cool. So I managed to get a ticket, a ticket and, and went to race in Israel. And I think have, and um, that was in itself an eye-opening experience of, of just the culture and the, and, uh, the complexities around um, racing in Israel. But yeah. nonetheless, you know, I was sharing with Hendrik and we shared you know, one bedroom apartment together and learned off him because while I was doing what I was doing in France, he was doing the same thing in Germany. Mm-hmm. So there was a German Bundesliga triathlon series. Yeah. So he was, he was sharing what he was experiencing and, you know, we were learning off each other. Right. And, um, you know, we become good mates and we, you know, still talk to each other to this day. Yeah. Anyway, I got some points on that, came back from that back in 2007. I'm sure right, I'm always going to give my, I was going to give myself a bit of a break into 2007. And I was based in, in Johannesburg in South Africa. In 2007, I didn't have obviously enough money. I wasn't going to come back to Western Australia. I was going to base in South Africa. I didn't quite know what I was going to do, but I thought, right, this is where I was going to be. And, you know, during that hiatus period, I actually met uh, my wife, <laughs> my wife today, in a in couple of weeks in Johannesburg. So we, you know, that was, that was quite an important part of the story, piecing everything together because, you know, it was, it was, she lived in Johannesburg, but obviously to, I couldn't really stay in Johannesburg as a triathlete because of the, the city and the, 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 tra- the just too busy a city to, to actually focus on training. Yeah. So Hendrik, who I met, who I mentioned earlier, he lived in a town one and a half hours outside of Johannesburg called Potchestrom, which is at about 1,200 meters altitude. so medium altitude level. And um, he said, you know, come and, come and train with us today. He says, it's, it's really good. It's quite a roads, open access. So that's what I did. I worked out how, and I, I um, rented a room off a, another South African Olympic hurdler at the time and uh, rented a room. He had a, like a little bachelor's flat and I rent, rented his room and that's where I based myself for. Oh, and, um, and at this sound, point, a lot of this point. Cut out yeah. there, Chris. Okay. Okay, you so I based you... myself in this part of South Africa in 2000, 2008. Yeah. And um, it was this town called Potchestrum. And unbeknownst to me at the time, I quickly realized the German, the Dutch, and the, um, some, so the German and Dutch triathlon Olympic teams flew out to this part of South Africa and okay. used this town as their training base. Uh, and and the, you, you weren't aware of that at the time. I was not at the time where I arrived, and I quickly worked it out with um with the guys I was training with, really. <laughs> and um, then it was, then it was uh, uh, the British track and field team. Part of them, they would come out and train in this town as well. Kelly Holmes used to be a um a top British track and field athlete. Yeah. She, you know, in her in her biography, she talks of coming to this town to to do her base training, and um, so it was it was another positive step in this direction. I guess yeah. it's 
it, at this point, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's quite a bit, um, you yeah, know, we are raised in our community. It's quite a journey. It's, it's quite yeah. long convoluted. And, and at this point, the, that International Triathlon Union that awarded me the scholarship. So that gave me the scholarship. So part of that was going to race in, on, the West Coast, on the East Coast of Australia and New Zealand, which they funded. So I went to do that. So I went to go race there and then come all the way back. And um, it was, was through a lot of just working out the races, one thing after the next in terms of, you know, there's a lot more stories and races in that period of time. Yeah. Um, but another luckiest psychological one, which I'll tap into now, is, you know, I think one of the, the culminating race was, was a, a World Cup series where I ran my PB run off the bike and I got, I think, most amount of points in that time. And I think at that point, it was, uh, it was about April, May 2007, I realized that I've got, I'm pretty much going to make the qualification cut now. As long as there was another guy from Tunisia, who I was, um, sorry, Morocco, I beg your pardon. So we had all African championships in Tunisia, but the guy was from Morocco, who was basically also vying for the same Olympic spot. Um, but I think it was just ahead of him, and I think I knew it needed to do a couple more races and beat and beat him in order to get that spot. But at this point in time, I met the Dutch Olympic triathlete a guy called Zander Burke at this place in, in South Africa. And now he said to me, he says, right, if you qualify, what are you going to do between June and the Olympics in August because of this winter? What are you going to do? I said, well, I don't know. <laughs> so I hadn't worked that out. I don't know. I don't have somebody, a national body mapping this out for me. I'm just going along with it, right? Yeah, so yeah. he said, well, come and live with me and be my training partner in the Netherlands. And, and you can, you know, I've got a spare room and you can stay, but just be my training buddy. So I said, sounds great. Yeah. So I went, so I went and joined him in the Netherlands. But at this, at this point in time, I started to develop a, a um, basically shin splints. So I, um, I left, Tibia was giving me a bit of grief just because obviously a lot of the, the running and the speed and everything that I was compounding, I was just, it was just one thing after the next. And um, so I got to the Netherlands and, you know, I think it was, it was after a couple of weeks and I was just getting pretty debilitating. Now we, I'd qualified for the games. I, I, I was just going to say, had you qualified? Yeah, sorry, I, I, I'd, qualified, I'd qualified at this point. So I wasn't yeah. even going to go out in there so, unless I'd qualified. How did that, was there like a distinct moment where you knew you qualified or maybe? Yeah, so there was, it was, it was the All Africa Championships in that time, which is, so I'd done that World Cup race where I'd run my PB. And I was pretty sure that I was going to qualify then, but I wasn't set in stone. And then the next race was the All Africa Championships, and I beat that guy from Morocco. Um, and pretty sure that was it was about then. And I realised that is it, I've done it. And there was just if you know I was waiting for the official announcement from the IOC and the ITU about which athletes had got on because ultimately it was their say, right? Mm. It was their say, but then it was actually up to your national body. So the Zimbabwe Olympic Committee, they could actually choose whether or not to send me as well. Yeah. So up until this point, I'd started communicating with them to, to let them know what I was doing, who I was. Um, 
And because so, it was, I couldn't just suddenly spring up on them and say, right, this is, um, <laughs> hello, can yeah. I go to the Olympics now? <laughs> right. So what was it like when you definitively knew that you had captured the Exceptional. Spot? Yeah, it was exceptional. It was um, realizing the, the hardships and the, the journey I had gone on was, was worth it. You know, it was just, it had already been worth it. I think I grew mentally and I grew in a lot of ways, but I guess the dream that I had was, was, was real. You know, it was, it was incredible. Um, yeah, it was very special. So going to like another injury element, you know, in, in, in the Netherlands, I'd started, we'd started racing and running, started running pretty hard. And, and then I got this, and it ended up being um, pretty, um, pretty bad. <laughs> you know, it was, it was actually a full-blown tibial stress fracture. It developed into that because obviously I didn't let up. You know, I was strapping, strapping myself. I was doing a lot of water, water running, aqua jogging at the time as well in the in the Netherlands to try and offset. But it, it became it became quite sore um, and painful to run. So now I was thinking, how on earth am I going to do this in the Olympics? <laughs> yeah. So usually, like, so, I guess that you know there can be a range of of uh, severity to a stress yeah. fracture, but. Often it's like six to eight weeks. Is that not correct? Of that's right. Of inactivity and and exactly inactivity and and really non weight bearing stuff. You know, yeah. put yourself in a in a moon boot or just to try and take it off. That was not an option when you were in in uh, July, June, July, two thousand eight, when you just qualified for the Olympic Games. <laughs> yeah. So. So. You know, how long, so I guess it's relatively shortly after that you, you know, you sort of have this fulfillment of realizing a dream and then not too long thereafter, you're experiencing these debilitating shin splints. Yep. What did that yep. kind of do to you psychologically? Yep. It was, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible because I'd just gone through the last long period of time of trying to get there and I was just it was it was awful it was awful because you know I didn't want to let anyone down as well you know the people now that like the International Triathlon Union Libby Barrel there were a lot of people now that were starting to support me and believe in me as well I felt I was I was going to let some of them some of them down and I, I was going to fall down and, you know I'd qualified for the games but if you're not fit enough to run because you got a full-blown stress fracture in your crutches well, how are you going to race, right? Yeah. So I made, I, I made a, you know, one of the things I did was it's like it's a lot of aqua, aqua running, which, which worked pretty well. And it's the one good thing about being in the Netherlands is that I, and um, Zander's dad worked, had, he was involved in the Netherlands Olympic Committee. And he, um, he managed to get me access to some uh, therapists from the, from the Dutch side, which sort mm -hmm. of helped. Yeah. You know, look, ultimately, uh, you know, you got a problem in your, in your bone. <laughs> Nothing, there's no miracle, right? I think that's one thing I've, you know, you've learned over the years is that, you know, your body's in pain. There's not a miracle pill. There's not an miracle electro physical stimulation. There's not a miracle needle. There's no miracle needle. You've just got to let your body heal. Yes. Yeah. There are ways that you can increase blood flow. There's ways that you increase and try and speed up the healing rates and bring more healing properties to it. But ultimately, it's time. Yeah. 
your body just needs to heal and with it along that that is your is your mind working with it at the same time so anyway would you so, say that's um, important for injured athletes to sort of have that realization or just that understanding that you know despite their athletic capabilities that certain things take time and that time may not always coincide with when they want to compete 100 percent. that's exactly what it is and it's it's um for me uh, it was the beijing olympics were a like this is this is it this is a be all and end all for me this is if i can't get my body right and mind right that's why i was so devastated in france when i was injured because i just thought initially because i thought this olympic dream is gone so i think it's it's about what i what i put in place like a step ladder you know step ladder where step one is all right you're injured step two is all right i guess grieving it grieve that you're injured <laughs> step three is get over it because if you stay in that grieving place you are not going to get your body better because it's your mind that's going to ultimately help your body get better yeah um how, you know, step how, four is mind, right. how would you say the mind helps get the body better in what way <sighs> how many there's it's hard to i guess um I verbalize that but it's from my own experience i think it's it's if you've got enough positive channel enough positive energy and positive thoughts it's not gonna you're not gonna think all these positive thoughts and the next morning your your, your injury is going to be gone not at all but i think what it opens your mind what's what it opens you up to is is channeling different areas and then also opening yourself up into getting other support now, when you're negative and when you're down about something, you're not necessarily opening up yourself to other other people to come and want to be around you, right? Yeah. Obviously, you got you got to meet up friends and family that are going to do that. People who love you and know you, they're going to do that. But it's not going to. If you're exuding positivity and and um and and you know, I guess drive or goal orientated or this is what I want to do, people are automatically drawn to that and they want to help you. Yeah. And I think it's that it's extrinsic sort of motivation. It's all one after the other, right? And then you, you never know who you're going to talk to, right? Yeah. You know, I went to, I arrived, all these, you know, what I've explained, there's a lot of like chance interactions I've had over that time, which basically helped me get to the next step of my career. Right. And my, I, mean, might have, I might not have ever done that if I'd never gone to France in the first place, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so just sort of having that positive kind of mindset it, it yeah. opens your eyes up to different i guess w ways of approaching things or or, or yeah. seeking out maybe support whereas if you're really sort of yeah. caught in a distressed you know sort of deep dark place as you described earlier with your hamstring yeah. that you're not necessarily opening yourself up to the support or seeking the support you need but it also sounds like and, and there's certainly research to support your statement that um, you know your approach is going to affect how others treat you, and and that's right. You know, you one needs the help of physiotherapists, and and if you're sort of down in the dumps constantly, that you may not be likely to get that kind of interest on the part of others. But but I also think there's you know you mentioned this too, the sort of mind body connection, right? And certainly there's evidence that does 
talk about, well, the impact of negative emotions and thoughts on your physiology and things like blood flow, which you mentioned. And, you yeah. know, that if, if you're sort of constantly negative and distressed, that, that will affect hormonal changes in the body that can impact things yeah. like blood flow. Or exactly. Cortisol, you know, cortisol was bred, you know, a stress releases cortisol and cortisol sure. is going to inhibit healing. You know, it's, yeah. Um, yeah. there's lots of that. Yeah. And um yeah. And I think one thing I realized is that the therapist I was looking at, you know, I realized you've got to work with them as a team. Mm-hmm. You can't look at them as them, they've got all the answers and they're the miracle worker and they're gonna tell you how to fix your body. It's yeah. your body, right? Work with them as a team. Say, right, what about this, 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 or I think and that's how I worked out my, you know, hip flex my um uh hip flex extensor muscle imbalance because it was was just working that out at a time and I realized this is not, you know, this is just does, doesn't seem right. And then yeah. I went to somebody else and they, they said, yeah, you're right. And well, let's do, let's go and actually get it tested. So we went to go and get it properly tested. Um, yeah. And it sounds and like certainly, you, you were very proactive, Chris, like initially in France and sort of solving your own problems, given that you didn't have relevant expertise at your disposal yeah. or, you know, well, I, I had no option. I have no option. My option, well, I had two options, right? My option was fall in a dump myself and go and be, forget about my dream of being a triathlete and be a tourist and just go around France yeah. and forget about everything. Or, or three options, I guess. The second option was return back to Australia because I could do that, right? Return back, to, return back to Australia and then forget about the triathlon career. And the third option is, I guess, the option I ultimately took, which was, let's try solve this. Yeah. So would you say that kind of injuries presented you with forks in the road, so to speak? Oh, and then you had to make definitely, decisions? Definitely. And, and look, every injury is different, right? You know, you can, like I said, my, the, the friend I mentioned earlier in the story, um, you know, who was a duathlon world champion, he, he got injured, but he got an elephant who put a tusk through his clavicle and tusk neck to his spine. You know, that's an injury where I think no matter how motivated and positive you are in the world, that, that you know, that shoulder mobility is never going to probably return, to be honest, to get you to a world competing stage. Right. So there's that kind of injury. And then there's an injury that I've had, which, yeah, it was debilitating. And it was, it was in my world, in my world at the time, it was the worst thing that could happen to me. And, but I guess if you compare that to getting tusked by an elephant, Mm. Uh, two very different injuries. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. So, and there can be two very defining moments. Like you get somebody using an athlete who's you know involved, you know they're involved, you know track and field athlete involved in a in a motor vehicle accident, and they get you know their their femur and tibia and fibula fractured in five places. Yeah, that athlete is probably never going to run the hundred meter sprint like they ever used to ever again. Right. But so, I, like, I like how you phrase that though, Chris, where, you know, in your world still at the time when you're in France overseas, you don't have support and you get this injury and, you know, and it's sort of like, well, for you, I, I thought the world, the world is on top of my head. Exactly. Yeah. It was my world. It was just terrible. It was yeah. just the worst thing that could have happened to me. And that's all relative, right? It's all relative to our experiences. Right. And then again, like maybe you can kind of, take take us back to okay well you're now in in holland right and you're getting the yep. the 
support of some of the physiotherapists of the Dutch uh, national team members and 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 so you're it sounds like you're doing modified training so tell us what happens yeah. then yeah so I was always uh, swimming and, and cycling so I was swim I ended up swimming a lot more uh, cycling a lot more and then um, and then running uh, was trying to do some weight bearing stuff but then mostly water running um, which is what the therapist really put me onto. I hadn't really done water running or aqua jogging at the time, yeah. but I was doing it to heart rate and I was doing it to, um, you know, had a heart rate monitor on and I was doing it religiously every day. And it certainly helped. And, and look, I think it never was going to take away the stress fracture because, I mean, we're getting close to the Olympics now. And it was just, it was just getting one thing after the next. And it was not going to get me away, but I just, you know, you, you, you read stories and you watch videos of stress fractures of athletes and then suddenly the actually tibia goes into a full-blown fracture. <laughs> if you actually, that's a dramatic situation. Yeah. But in the back of my mind, I was like, I don't want that to happen, right? I mean, yeah. but anyway, I mean, yeah, sure. so we, the, with this Dutch um, connection I had, they, because the Olympic, the triathlon and the Olympic schedule was towards the end of it, the whole of the Dutch Olympic team had actually hired out a hotel in um, in South Korea, and they to climatize all the athletes from Europe to the South Korea hotel, and then they went on to um, this went on to Beijing. Yeah. And anyway, I went with with Zander and his dad managed to get me a slot, even though I was from a different federation. Mm. He managed to convince him that I was his training partner, and yeah, it was all legitimate, legitimate, and everyone yeah. was on board, and they were really, really welcoming and helpful and it was it was amazing like the dutch olympic um committee were absolutely incredible to me at the time yeah and anyway i went with them and i spoke to more therapists and I, you know we had physiologists and now we had really you know full-blown you know olympic uh team support two weeks you know 10 days before olympic race then i went back then after that we went actually back in you know into the olympic village and then i met my um zimbabwe olympic team and then our national doctor sort of explained to him what I was going through and he was pretty annoyed I remember with me because I hadn't said anything before that um and I guess there was a fear that they were going to say that I couldn't go because like I said yes the ISC and the ITU could tell you could say you know they give you the spot if you've qualified but then it's ultimately your national federation that actually has to approve your spot and allow you to go yeah. Now I was fearful that the Zimbabwe Olympic Committee were going to say, "Well, you got a, you got an injury, you can't race." Mm -hmm. So, I'd, so yeah, I, I guess I didn't really think about that too much at the time until I got to the Olympic Village and I met with our doctor, and he was the one who explained that to me, and I was like, "Oops, okay." <laughs> anyway, okay, well, let's what we do about it now. Anyway, it's not much. It's, you got to race. It's, it will strap you up and you can stand a moon boot and do what you can here. The moon boot lasted three hours and I said, well, I haven't done this for the last six weeks. It's not going to work. So I just kept strapped up. I had, a, I had two compression socks on and a whole lot of strapping, which just supported um, the tibia. And, and then anyway, get to the, get to the Olympic race. I knew I was not running. Like I, I'd done my PB after the bike earlier on in the year on the, in the run. And I was swimming phenomenally. I was swimming the best I was. So I knew I could swim well. Cycling was pretty strong. And then the run, you know, I was disappointed that I was not going to be able to run the best race that I could yeah. because I knew that I just, my running, my running um, preparation was terrible. Yeah. But I thought, let me just, just give it the best red hot go. And I think I finished 42nd in yeah. Beijing. 
Um, I didn't have, I didn't have obviously the greatest runtime. Was nowhere close. It was like one and a half minutes um, slower than my PB. Um, did I feel the injury during that run? No. <laughs> you're just running on adrenaline and euphoria where you are. And um, but obviously I was nowhere near physiologically ready or you know for the run part of it. Yeah. But I didn't. You know, there were still guys who finished behind me, so I didn't. I was. It was okay, right? It wasn't the um, worst thing in the world. Right. I guess. But you were able to compete, but not necessarily put the best foot forward, you know. In the run. You know, and then the swim, in the swim, the cycle was, uh, was incredible. Like, the swim, I came out with the front pack guys, uh, swam with the best in the world, came out with them. The cycle, um, you know, two guys broke away. And then at some period, I was leading the sort of the chase pack at one point in time. Nice little YouTube clip on there, <laughs> somewhere on that. My, and um, and then they would get off on the run, and I was just, I was, you know, the guys are running 30 minutes, 10K, four 10Ks, and I ended up running 34 minutes, you know, so. Did, yeah. did, you, did you, how did you feel kind of after the competition? Uh, just, um, I don't think words can explain what I felt. It was like, it was the culmination of so many challenges and experiences to fulfill the dream, I guess. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was exceptional. Yeah. It was, um, we, yeah. we haven't, we haven't even touched on your next Olympic. I know. <laughs> I've actually, I've actually got to get to your work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, you know, I appreciate you sharing all your, your experiences and, and I think there's so much, right. yeah. That, that one can take uh, from from all the things that that you've said. Uh, I think, if anything, I th yeah. anything, I I didn't really have any major injury setbacks between Beijing and London. There were a lot of other different challenges and experiences because I now decided I was going to be based with my wife. Yeah, you know, in, in Johannesburg itself rather than Potchefstroom, I was making other decisions, and I, I'd end up getting a formal job working 20 hours a week running a corporate wellness program for a local IT company. Yeah. Um, because there was four years, right, between Beijing and London. The Olympic qualification period is only two years. So there were two years. I had to work out what I was going to do before I get to the two years before the London Olympics. Yeah. But there weren't, I, did, I didn't have any major injury challenges between then because I think I'd learned a lot, right? I'd learned a lot before Beijing in terms of how to handle my body. Yeah. Uh, now I was getting regular massages as well. That was a critical thing I think I'd learned between Beijing and London. Nearly every week or 10 days I'd get a massage, which I never had ever done ever before in my career. Mm -hmm. So I was getting regular massages, I think helped. Um, was that a benefit then, uh, sort of being able to learn about your body and what you needed to stay healthy? Definitely. Well, 100%. It was from uh, going through what I went through, like, the yeah, an induction process yeah. when I got to one Olympics, it was um, definitely learned. I was older, right, as well. You know, I was another four years older and, mm -hmm. and, um, and more experienced. And now I had got this education and studied and exercise, rehabilitation, plus I'd actually lived it. Now I was in Johannesburg, I was, had more familiar surroundings um, yeah. and access to, I guess, other, other support networks. Right, um, right. But yes, there's definitely learned, learned experiences. Yeah. Let me ask you one final question. If you were to okay. share a piece of advice based on all of your experiences uh, 
for injured athletes in particular, what, what would you suggest is yeah. important or valuable to help with recovery? When, when we get injured, and I've been injured badly twice, it's, I think you've got to compartmentalize the process. And remember the severity of injuries, right? We explained, you know, there could be bad fractures, which are literally career ending on day one, or there are other soft tissue. And there can be, you know, fractures that can, you know, people get fractured, fractured bones and keep going. So let's, 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 let's put in, let's talk about a category of, of, um, you know, let's say soft tissue debilitating injury, chronic soft tissue injury. And I think compartmentalize that because even though I had a soft tissue injury, it took a long time to get over it. And they do often take a long time because there are a lot of, they're multifactorial. Yeah. I think it's, it's compartmentalizing. And I, I think I'll use that step ladder approach and say, right, say, right, work out. When you're in a happy space, I think important grieve your injury because especially if you've got this ultimate goal and dream that you are on the path of trying to achieve and reach, this injury is a setback, right? It is a setback. So grieve that process, but don't dwell in it. It's, it's step two yeah. in the step ladder of 10 runs, right? Yeah. Steps. So get over that step. But during that process, try and see if you can surround yourself in, in some sort of emotional support. And I think the one thing that, because I didn't really have, you know, Skype, my emotional support network, I, I think what I didn't realize I was doing at the time, I removed myself entirely from that situation. I was in, I was in a stressed ball environment in France where I was like, I've come here, I need to race, I need to train, I need to earn money, I need to get the IT points. There's so much pressure. Removing myself to the Netherlands for that hiatus just totally switched off that pressure. Yeah, yeah. So I think if any advice is, is if you feel like you're grieving and you think you don't have enough emotional support, step, step away, whatever it might be. I mean, it might not be as dramatic as going to another country, yeah. but it could be something else, right? Going, going to go and fish or whatever you're, and something else you can do. Go and do something else to get your mind entirely off that stressed environment. Doesn't have to be a long period. Like it took me four or five days. Yeah. Um, then come back. And because you are, I mean, if you're an athlete that are, is on that path to trying to get to that ultimate goal and you, there's a drive. You've got that, like, all athletes, I think, are born with that drive and that innate desire and competitiveness to achieve that goal. So if you are still on that path and you still can get back on that path, you've got that inner drive. So channel that drive. So step four, step five, step six on the of that step ladder rung yeah. are about putting in place, right, therapists, working on different weaknesses in your body that you think like core, your core, you know, whatever it might be, there might be weaknesses. If, if your sport is only one dimensional, that you are a marathon runner only, um, or if you're an ice hockey player or, or whatever it might be um nrl player it's the, there's always something that you can work on yeah and with that extra time that you had because i don't think the other thing important thing is not to get all consumed by that injury see if there's something else you can learn like along the way like if there's an online course you can do or short course or 
learn about finance or learn about something else, right? It's yeah. totally unrelated to what you're doing to, to, to distract yourself. Mm-hmm. And then as you, as you get going and, and um, I think that like they're going to that training camp, I call it training camp in, in Alp Duez, was the next, it was almost like that, that second or third last step in my step ladder where I wasn't 100% strong. I was getting on the road because I could still couldn't run properly. But I could cycle and I could swim and I, had, I was in a totally different environment. Yeah. So if you go and take yourself in a little training camp or take yourself somewhere else and go into a log cabin somewhere and go and do some, some sort of training, but not in your normal routine. Mm. And you'll yeah. come back even more refreshed. And then, you, and then like the last couple of steps will be about getting back to that, getting back onto the path of that competitive drive and getting back onto that onto that traject that goal trajectory yeah i think chris your your experiences and story is a wonderful illustration of how one goes from doing something very individually without a lot of support to over time yeah. acquiring the support that you, you talk about is so yeah, essential to, yeah. to recover. And, then, and and that was you know like the zimbabwe olympic committee like i didn't really know them at all before beijing but then we're in constant communication between Beijing and London. And then I had a, a guy who was a manager then um, who was trying to be the liaison between the Zimbabwe Olympic Committee for me. They managed to get me a fund. The Zimbabwe Olympic Committee funded a, um, a trip to uh, China and the Philippines for two world ranking races. Now, that was unheard of, right? Yeah. But like a country going through political unrest and all sorts of stuff. And there was yeah, this apolitical body supporting a guy who does triathlon. Yeah. in africa yeah. Yeah. yeah it was so cool right yeah, it was great. amazing i'm so appreciative and and i'm still like i did a little video for the zimbabwe Olympic committee the other day on on COVID, and yeah. I'll, I'll send you a few of the links of what i've done in the last yeah. sort of week or so it's um yeah. it's been it's been pretty and so the relationships that i've formed with that the, the, those committees and those bodies and those people now like you know i'm still in touch with them and and we, we are eight years later now already yeah. from from london yeah, well, it sounds like you've developed some wonderful relationships over your your years as a competitor at uh, at the top and elite level of your sport. And uh, yeah, yeah, again, thank you for sharing. Sure. Just, Do you uh, want to know something yeah. else, Liz? You're the first yeah. person that I've ever actually shared this to in um, this whole story, like like I've done now. I've never done it before. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's it's great to I, all the more reason that I'm appreciative of of you sharing your experience and your willingness to do so. And that's okay. You know, again, Pete's a good guy. Pete's a good guy. And Pete's um, a great guy. Yeah, you reached out, and uh, yeah. So when you ask for, and I and I've been involved in academics. Like my my younger brother, he's married to uh, in a a uh, somebody who's in research and and uh, working in universities and stuff. And it's. And I've been exposed to studies and it, it's sometimes it can be like drawing water out of a stone. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> it's yeah. not easy. It's complicated. And, and as you say, I yeah. guess problems are multifaceted, multifactorial. Yeah. So it's, it's yep. great to be able to indulge your curiosity. And that's one of the things I love about speaking to people like yourself is just hearing about people's, you know, the ups and downs and challenges and, and how they manage them and, and what enables people to pursue paths that are so important to them. So yeah, it's yeah. great.
great to speak with you. That's really great. appreciate it. Absolutely. Likewise. And I think that what you're doing is great as well. There's like, I think it's, you know, to have a little manual for athletes and stories along the way for like, especially, you know, the injury stories that you can collate a whole lot of stories and frame a, a scientific element to it. And almost like a, a manual for somebody, right? You get injured. He has this book, read it. He has a whole lot of stories that you can draw something bits and pieces out of each story which hopefully will help a lot of athletes um, yeah. in the future well and on that note i have no doubt that you sharing your experiences will certainly resonate with anyone who, who watches this and and you've certainly sure. gone through a lot to achieve the things you have so yeah uh it, it's all good 